From King's Landing, it's the IGN Digigods. Please welcome two men who always pay their debts, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Oh, what a great reference that is. I, 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 I almost don't even get that one. Uh, Corey, be so kind. What longtime listeners sent that one in for us? That was written by Eric Altieri. I hope he doesn't die. Thank you, Corey. <laughs> what a nice sentiment. <laughs> so, Mark, I'm going to let you make fun of me today. Oh, I, why should today be different from any other day? Uh, I, because I'm going to actually give this one to you. What do you mean? I went to a fantastic concert yesterday. I'm seeing Billy Joel next week. I went to a great concert. It was a Billy Joel? It was not Billy Joel. Was it some uh, BS uh, opera or something, some stupid, ridiculous? I place? went to an awesome concert. What is it? Show this is what show I went me. to. Capella Romana at the Getty Villa. Yes. <laughs> you know who Capella Romana Oh, my Roma- God. It's Spir- it was Spiridon Antonopoulos. Capella Romana is a, uh, a Northwest uh, vocal group. There's probably like 30 or 40 or 50 of them, and they, they, come, they, they do different arrangements of people, like about eight of them came down for this particular concert, Dud. and it is all, uh, it's Byzantine chant. Dud. It's Byzantine chant, which is the, the uh, Greek Orthodox version of uh, Gregorian chant. Dud. Different musical approach and notations and so forth. Here, give, give this to me. I want to read you something. I want to read you something uh, from this. This I, is really I'm, amazing. I'm, I'm on pins and 90, 90 minutes of chant. And the fact, and, and you know how I knew that I was in an audience comprised almost entirely of people who are Greek Orthodox? Because they're all losers? Because they started applauding even before I knew that it was time to applaud. Because they were reading the, the, the lyrics along in Greek. You don't, you don't read Greek? I don't read Greek. What's wrong with you? But they read Greek. Why are we talking about this? Uh, because I want to read this to you. Uh, this is really this is quite fascinating. G- give me just one moment oh, here. I'm, I'm fascinated you'll, already. You'll be you'll I'm enthralled. Be, you will be enthralled. You'll be absolutely enthralled. This will amaze you, because here, for example, the emerging consensus between these two extremes embodied in Dr. Arvanitis's editions is also reflected in Capella Romana's approach to performance practice. Now, listeners now, accustomed to plain chant sung in the ethereal style of the Solemnes will notice non-Western tunings, chromatic inflections, a more rigorous Mediterranean-influenced vocal style characterized by frequent ornaments and the use of a drone or ison. Those schooled in the received tradition of Byzantine chanting will detect unfamiliar melodic formulas and the absence of soft chromatic modes. Do you really think there's huh? any, Do you really think there's any listener who's entertained by that, either as comedy or just as a serious topic? <laughs> really I'm, not. I hope so because it was really good. Oh, but I love Byzantine okay. chant. Anyway, Capella Romana—they have a, a ton of albums. I've yeah. just discovered them recently, oh, that's and uh, the newest one is all Byzantine uh, chants from Finland. Oh my god! You know what? I, nice. I, I, I own the Blu-ray. Yeah. You know, speaking of Blu-ray, yes. wait, uh, Criterion announced their Blu-rays for August. I know. It's very exciting. It is. It's one of the weaker months of this oh, year, Oh, how though. dare you. All that jazz. Yeah, I know. I know. But the rest are sort of... E tu mama tambien. That's a, fine. A little, a little director named Alfonso Cuaron. Uh, it's fun. Look, it's a great movie, but it's not like, oh Tommy my... Tommy up, Tommy down? Yeah, that's fine, too. All that jazz. I, yeah, I know. All that jazz. But, I mean, it's not like, it's not like oh, my gosh, there's an Orson Welles and a Kurosawa, and, you know, it's not I'm like... say something. It's, you know... Very controversial. Yes, go ahead. Okay. N- enough of your stupid chants. No one yeah, cares yeah. about that. Let's talk about movies. Okay. Maria, okay. So I saw Godzilla. Right? N- nobody's entertained by that. Believe me. Nobody's entertained by that. Okay. 
I saw Godzilla, right? Yes. Enjoyed it very much. Yes. So, after watching Godzilla... You actually liked it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Because I've, I've heard mixed. Well, here's the thing. Is that you have to understand what he's going for. Gareth Edwards is very talented. What Gareth Edwards is going for is a little different than what we're used to. You see, here, see in, in, the, in, in, in the Marvel DC yeah. you know, uh, Transformer days of tentpole movies... Mm-hmm. You know, like like I hear there's I hear there's a monster punani in the movie. There, I don't know what that means, but the answer is yes. Yes. Um, Upskirt shot. Oh, there's plenty of those. Yeah. Oh, there, there's actually one major one. Yeah, that's why. Like, heard. oh, that's the story. Oh, that's where we're going with this story. Yeah. I get it now. Yeah. Um, anyway, in, in the movie, we're used to like a gigantic, enormous, hundred million dollar set piece every ten minutes. Yes. Because that's Transformers, and that's Man of Steel. That's right. how it goes. That's not this movie. This movie. A lot of times he will show you the aftermath of an attack and not show the attack. Yeah. And that generates a lot of tension. What happened? How this happened? Who did this? I'm going to well, cough the, now. The, Wait. Okay. <laughs> the, the, you know, the, uh, the previous Godzilla did that as well. I was like, well, first of all, be quiet. That's entirely how the... Uh, no, yeah. but that's not how movies are made today. So I know, to but, do that that is, is but, that, but that is how the, 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 you know, the Dean Devlin and... Uh, yes. Yeah, that right. one. Okay. Yeah. So, so. Uh, uh, that, that's great. So, the last, but the last 45 minutes of the movie is just insane Godzilla smackdown orgasm goodness. It is so awesome. And anyway, so it's good. Then I went home and I had bought uh, the 1954 Japanese original yes. on Criterion Blu-ray sure. months earlier. Sure. And, but I hadn't seen it in many, many years. Right. So I decided to pop it in. Mm-hmm. Boring as crap. So boring. <laughs> it really is the most boring well, movie ever. Okay. It's terrible. It's a boring movie. Now, I understand why culturally it's important to the Japanese. I get all of that. Do you but know, as a movie, he, it's boring as crap. Here's what I don't understand. Pass. They have made two remakes of Godzilla. But of all of the Japanese monster movies, I'm going to be honest, I think Godzilla is really the least interesting of all the things in them. I find Mothra much more interesting. I think Rodan is more interesting. I think Gamera, freaking flying turtle, is more interesting. Gamera at least like spins around like a propeller. He's like, you know, he's a giant turtle, man. That's cool. Now, the, but even better... Why has nobody said we should probably remake War of the Gargantuas? Right? Fun. Right? War of the Gargantuas? Give Blood. me a break. Well, they will at some point. They have to yeah, get a couple more Godzilla sequels. That. The best be- thing about War of the Gargantuas when I was a kid was when he picks up that woman and, well, you know, you see the, you see the giant prosthetic hand and pick up the woman and then you cut to the guy in the suit putting a doll in his mouth and then he spits the dress out. That was awesome. That freaked me out. <laughs> I was like, he just ate a girl. It's great. Anyway. So Wade goes, uh, Godzilla's great. It's true. Yes. It's very much terrific. That's wonderful. That is fantastic. Mark? Yes, sir. Um, uh, what is coming out also, by the way, what? is uh, in September, Halloween, the complete collection on Blu-ray. I know. Every Halloween I saw that. movie. I saw that. I just requested it today. Got us, I got us on the list. Nice. Got us on the list. But that's not all the Halloween movies, is it? Um, you don't have like Halloween H2O and Halloween and... and Whatever the, the, there's some later ones in there that are a little odd. That well, here's what it has: Halloween, yeah, Halloween two, yeah, Halloween three. Well, Halloween wait, four. Halloween three has no has no Jason in it or, or no uh, Michael Myers in it. Halloween four, Halloween, Halloween four. five, yes. Halloween: The Curse of Michael Myers, yes. Halloween H two O. It does have H two O. Halloween Resurrection, okay, and then Rob Zombie's two Halloween films. Oh, it has the Rob Zombies in there and that a forty page wow. book. Wow, holy crap! Of those, of all those movies, you've got about combined. About three good movies in there. All right. Maybe two and a half. Very nice. All right, Mark. Uh, I'm going to start off. We, we, we've been uh, trying to pry some, uh, some classic MOD titles, that is Manufacturer on Demand, out of the uh, Fox people 
the Fox Cinema Archives. Uh, three studios do a substantial amount of MOD work, and uh, the obviously we talk a lot about the Warner Archive titles. Fox also has them as the uh, the Fox Cinema Archives titles, and Sony has them, and we're going to start covering a lot of the Sony titles. So we're getting on the MOD bandwagon in a big way. Just I like you it. Know. MOD's great. So I want to run through these. Uh, these are uh, a bunch of the 20th Century Fox MOD titles of late. Fox has a huge, huge, I mean, a lot of these have come out since last year. There's like tons. I've been trying to get these for quite a while. And uh, there's some really good ones in here. I mean, I, 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 I hate to say this, but I actually think that Fox is doing a... I feel like Warner Brothers is, is look. they're like, oh, there's a really obscure Edgar G. Robinson movie or James Cagney movie that nobody will ever go see because it's kind of crappy and we're like, oh, we'll make a Warner Archive title. Like, Warner does that a lot. A lot of those films are really just thin. And the ones that I request are always the best ones. Like, the thin stuff, we don't really cover here because, you know, they, they limit us to three requests out of every blast they do each week. So you're like, well, you pick the three that are really decent. But a lot of it is just like, That's, why would you release that? That got panned by critics. It's an embarrassing film. Uh, the Fox stuff, yeah, there are a lot of ringers in here, but there's some really, really interesting stuff. Uh, starting off, Footlight Serenade, which is a, uh, a, a fascinating, funny fusion of uh, sports film and uh, backstage musical. It is, it, it's kind of weird. John Payne, Betty Grable, Victor Mature, uh, a little bit cheesy, but somehow it's, it, 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 it works in the whole spirit of the era. It's very, very entertaining. Uh, directed by Gregory Ratoff, who was a total... he just That guy just vanished. He's like a no-name director, historically. No one remembers him. Uh, the Gay Deception, with Francis D. and uh, Alan Mowbray, is, uh, uh, a, was a star vehicle primarily for Francis Lederer. And Francis Lederer uh, has just completely vanished. Uh, he was like this, this debonair, suave dude, and nobody remembers him at all. Um, the reason this film is interesting, and uh, this is all about a woman who, uh, you know, wins like a lottery, and then uh, you know goes to try to, you know, put all of her, uh, her make her her lottery dreams come true. Um, this was a, a very early film by uh, William Wyler. Uh, so this is uh, you know William Wyler putting it together, and uh, you know you see his craft evolving, and that that makes that a really interesting movie. Uh, also is the classic Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, directed by Robert Aldrich, of all people. Most people think, oh, Sodom and Gomorrah, it must have been a Cecil B. DeMille movie. No, Cecil B. DeMille, he, he did, you know, obviously The Ten Commandments, and he did uh, Cleopatra, and, and he did uh, Samson and Delilah. He did not do Sodom and Gomorrah. Robert Aldrich, uh, another great his director historically, stole that one away from him. And uh, plus, you know, uh, DeMille was over at Paramount, and Aldrich was at Fox. But um, this is, a, this is a, a really funny, campy take on uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not intentionally campy, but it winds up being campy just because I can't take Stuart Granger seriously anymore. I really can't. I look at Stuart Granger and everything about Stuart Granger makes me laugh. But uh, as far as those old biblical epics go, it's certainly no campier than any of the rest, and um, now's the time to resurrect all those movies, so to speak. Uh, Technicolor film, William Lundigan and Susan Hayward in uh, the, the, the big sprawling color melodrama, I'd Climb the Highest Mountain. And uh, wonderful performance from Susan Hayward. Uh, typically campy, embarrassing performance from Rory Calhoun, who I can't... You know, when I, you know what I think of when I look at Rory Calhoun? You think of... Um, um, I, um, I, think of the, I think of the most dangerous game episode of Gilligan's Island where he decides that, that Gilligan is the ultimate prey and he chases Gilligan around the island. 
It's absolutely a riot. That is just so unbelievably funny. Roy Calhoun hunting Gilligan. It's brilliant. The ultimate prey. Not really, dude. He's like easier to shoot than than a than a wounded bird. It's Gilligan. It's friggin' Gilligan. He's wearing a red shirt. How hard is that to see? I mean, good grief. Why you you, you really throw a lot of logic into Gilligan's Island. <laughs> I know. Anyway, Henry King directs this one, uh, and uh, this is a story of a Methodist minister uh, ministering to a small community in the South where uh, they, uh, they kind of help people, and they, they bring the town together and help them overcome all their issues. Uh, another one of the another sword and sandal uh, biblical epic, Esther and the King. Uh, obviously, these, were, these biblical things were all the rage back then, and Raoul Walsh directed this one. And uh, this one you got to see just for Joan Collins' performance. This is Joan Collins at her very best. This thing has nothing to do with Esther in the Bible. It is like barely recognizable. But Joan Collins just rips this thing to shreds. She's in it with Richard Egan, who's, uh, who's young and burly, before he got all kind of gray and hoary. Um, Linda Darnell, Cornell Wilde, and Richard Green, along with George Sanders playing uh, King Charles II, make Forever Amber a really great movie. And I'm stunned that Fox put this one out on their MOD line because this is a great film. This is a fantastic film. Uh, this is one of those um, uh, 1940s era films that really put Otto Preminger on the map. It, people at this time were like, wow, this Preminger dude, he's got it going on. He's awesome. And, I love and Otto Preminger. Otto Preminger, really, it is, it is a fascinating, fascinating film. Uh, it takes place primarily in London about a woman who was uh, raised as a Puritan and uh, becomes a courtesan. And I'll tell you, it, it, it could very easily be an in, insufferable melodrama, but Preminger just finds these like these edges, these rough edges. Well, that, that was his in, thing. I mean, people in the anatomy 40s of didn't murder, find it. Anatomy of a Murder was like the first film ever to say the word rape. I know, I know. He just finds the rough edges that nobody else was willing to find at the time. And speaking of Otto Preminger, I can't even say his name. You know what I think of when I when I speak Otto Preminger? I know it? what you're going to say. Please say it. I, I, I think of him as Mr. Freeze on Batman. I know you do. I think of him just laughing, going wild. That makes me laugh. Uh, Kentucky is a silly film with uh, Loretta Young and Richard Green and the always entertaining Walter Brennan. You know what I think of when I see Walter Brennan's name? Uh, you think of uh, the, the Mr. Freeze. <laughs> I, think of, I think of the the Vietnamese guy in uh, Good Morning Vietnam who has like this bizarre sexual attraction to Walter Brennan and he keeps asking for Walter Brennan pictures. <laughs> I don't know. These are the things that stick in my head. Anyway, Daryl Zanuck produced this one, uh, the father of Richard Zanuck of Jaws fame, uh, directed by the uh, director David Butler, who went nowhere. But uh, some really great performances in here. Still, uh, you know, this is it, this is based on a, on a story that I guess was a, a big deal at the time, a short story or, an, or a novella. But it's about a feud uh, between two Kentucky families over many, many, many generations. It is a big, sprawling, uh, complicated film, but it's, uh, it's good. Uh, it's good. Good performances from Loretta Young and uh, Moroni Olsen and Douglas Dubril, another guy from the era, Walter Brennan, just hysterically funny. Uh, definitely, definitely worth checking out is Kentucky. Uh, also in Technicolor, that one. Uh, and then really quickly here, uh, we've got Dante's Inferno. Uh, which was uh, kind of a, it not, it's not Spencer Tracy's finest hour, but it's, uh, it's probably only worth watching for Spencer Tracy. Uh, it's, a, it's kind of a silly film in many respects. Um, but uh, interesting is that Rita Hayworth shows up here in an early role credited as Rita Cansino. 
Did I ever mention that Rita Hayworth's dad, uh, Enrique Cancino, was the dancing instructor at my father's acting school? Oh, you, you uh, say that every time I, I see you. I mention that? Okay. Uh, the Pleasure Seekers with Anne Margaret, Tony Franciosa, and uh, Pamela Tiffin. Uh, I, frankly, any movie that has pleasure in the title and Anne Margaret in the cast, worth checking out. Uh, it uh, all takes place in Madrid. It is beautifully shot in color by Jean Niglesco, another uh, really great director from the period. And uh, this is basically a remake of Three Coins in the Fountain, and it's just uh, ladies in, beautiful ladies in Madrid in beautiful color, and it'll make you want to go to Madrid, at least take a, t- a trip back in time. Cardinal Richelieu with George Arliss. This was just kind of a, uh, a silly uh, vehicle for George Arliss, who was kind of the, one of the great um, uh, character actors of the day. And, uh, you know, it's, it's Richelieu from the, you know, the uh, Three Musketeers and the whole thing. And he, he actually, you know, Richelieu actually existed. He's a real 17th century figure. And, um, you know, this is just kind of court intrigue, but it's fairly thin and just designed to give uh, Arliss a little Wait, bit of a... while we still have yeah. any listeners left, can yes. we move on? Jennifer Jones and Good Morning, Miss Dove. Jennifer Jones, always lovely, beautifully photographed, well-directed by Henry Coster. Chuck Connors, young Chuck Connors shows up in this, as does a young Jerry Paris. Oh, my God. Jerry Paris. I love Jerry Paris. You don't know who Jerry Paris is. No Jerry Paris directed, like, all the Happy Days episodes. <laughs> By the way, speaking of Happy Gosh, Days... Gosh, how do you not know Jerry Paris? Jerry Paris was, like, the legendary Happy Days director. Do we have to read every single one of these? Uh, no, I'm just making... There's two more. Only two more. People should know these. These are good movies. Oh, yeah. Uh, Bachelor Flat. Yeah. With Tuesday Weld, Richard Beamer, and uh, Terry Thomas. Anything with Terry Thomas? I love that diastema. Very fun. Also uh, very nicely shot, Cinemascope, color, directed beautifully by Frank Tashlin, the, uh, who, who did all those great Jerry Lewis movies. Frank Tashlin, fantastic uh, staging here. This is a really, really classic, uh, classic farce uh, with, you know, about a, a, an anthropology uh, professor who, uh, you know, his, his, the, his antics with a bunch of college students and uh, everything goes haywire, and I won't tell you exactly how it goes haywire, but... It's very, very fun. Tashlin uh, co-wrote and directed it, and it's just really, really fun. So that's uh, Bachelor Flat. Yeah, they should remake it. And then lastly, Decline and Fall of a Bird Watcher, one of the strangest... Oh, wait a second. The Decline and Fall of a Bird Watcher? We're, 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 oh, we're luring our, our listeners back with a great movie like that. This is based on a novel by Evelyn Waugh, by the way. <coughs> this is like legit material. Oh, this is great. This is from the 60s. Uh, British Angry Young Men entry from uh, director John Krish, and uh, it kind of a minor film from the from the late '60s, but it has that whole uh, late '60s groovy groovy vibe. Uh, worth watching, basically, because you got some great supporting performances from some classic British um, uh, British character actors like Patrick McGee and Leo McKern, and Leo McKern in particular. I mean, Leo McKern was gives one of my all time favorite performances in Ryan's Daughter. So. That's uh, that's a fun film to watch, especially if you're like a Richard Lester fan. This kind of plugs into that whole milieu very nicely. All right. Uh, is, is there more? No, that's it. That's the, oh, that's the Fox thing. Oh, I'm so thing. disappointed. That's the Fox thing. So, uh, Mark. <clears throat> yes, sir. We're going we're gonna to talk some Criterion. Oh, yeah. This one. Now, this one's already out. Yeah. In fact, I already own it. Yep. In fact, I bought it because Wade wouldn't give it to me. Well, I, we hadn't gotten it by that time. You it was a late arrival. It's not fair. It's a late arrival. Ace in the Hole is uh, finally Ace in the Hole. Ace in the Hole. It's an Ace in the Hole. Now, this one is uh, starring Bill Murray. (laughs) Um, And it stars uh, Kirk Douglas as one of Billy Wilder's uh, 
uh, not first films, but one of the films that his earlier films that really put him on the map. This is from 1951, mm-hmm. and uh, this stars uh, Kirk Douglas as a uh, amoral reporter who finds the story of a lifetime when a man is stuck in a uh, in a cave in Albuquerque, and he decides to Albuquerque. Re- yes, and that reminds decides me of Bugs to Bunny. Re- I have to cough. So I have, I have a tickle in my throat. Go ahead, cough. That I cannot get rid of. Get rid of it. Cough. Cough. Cough to your heart's content. <laughs> it just comes back. I know. Anyway, and that's why I got water. Sweet. Wow, that this is good internet radio. I know, right? You, can you talk about Ace Nall? I can't get rid of this tickle <laughs> okay. in my throat. I'm not kidding. It's bizarre. <laughs> I've never had this before. I waited till this moment to have a tickle in my throat. I can't speak. By the way, while you're drinking, I will let people know. We've got a little bit. We've got a Vox box today. Got a Vox box we're going to throw in. Uh, we'll, uh, we, we have some listener mail we're going to try to get to. may have to hold that till next week. But we also have three giveaways this week. Three giveaways. Three giveaways. They're good ones. So okay, got, anyway, okay. Yeah. So Kirk Douglas plays this okay, able reporter go. who's banished to, a, to you know, Arizona. And he finds the story of a lifetime when this guy gets trapped in a cave in Albuquerque. And he decides to resurrect his career by keeping this guy in the cave for as long as he can so that he can milk the benefits of a big national story. There you go. And it's pretty much one of those, like, you know, uh, 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 you know the, uh, the bad and the beautiful sure. type scathing indictments of, of society course. kind of movies. Yeah. And it's just really great stuff. And, of course, like all great films, when it first came out, it was panned. It didn't do well. Paramount changed the name to the Big Carnival. Yeah, and then of course Criterion, uh, when they released it in two thousand seven, they wind up, they uh, reverted it back to its original title, Ace in the Hole, and it's great. Kirk Douglas is great. Jan Sterling is great. Everybody is great. It's just a terrific film. It's based on real events, and uh, I love this movie. I absolutely love this movie. I'm so glad it's finally out on Blu-ray. You guys must at least rent it, if not buy it. And of course Criterion has knocked the extras out of the park. And uh, yeah, that's my Fantastic. that's my pick of the week. I concur entirely. Thank you. Three more criterions: Il Sorpasso, otherwise known as Il Sorpasso, uh, by Dino Risi, great Italian director. This is a Blu-ray DVD dual format edition, as all their stuff is. This is from the fantastic year of 1962, the year otherwise known as the year of Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, but it was also the year of uh, Il Sorpasso, which uh, is this fantastic uh, road comedy that uh, stars uh, one of the most amazing duos ever put into a basically a buddy movie, Vittorio Gassman and Jean-Louis Trintignant. Now, Jean-Louis Trintignant did, like, every movie in the 60s. It, it seems like he did 170 films. Uh, I mean, everything from, from Z to the... the Z con- to Shining Z? Z to The Conformist and on and on. It just He's in everything. And uh, it's just unbelievable. He's just great. And Vittorio Gassman is always great. He was great as an old man, great as a young man. It's fantastic. And this is just great. I mean, there's a lot of funny stuff in this. There's a lot of really sad stuff in this. A lot of meaningful, kind of poignant stuff. And loads of extras, including uh, this amazing 2006 documentary about Risi uh, called A Beautiful Vacation, which is just perfect. It's just wonderful. I, I almost enjoyed watching that more than the, than the movie. Uh, there's also a 1983 um, uh, French television broadcast uh, snippet that features Jean-Louis Trintignant and uh, a whole bunch of other stuff that just it just goes on and on and on and on. I love when you say that with a French accent. Uh, merci bien. 
Anyway, really, really good. Uh, fantastic tr uh, transfer. The, the black and white is just luminous. And then uh, a couple of more, more fairly more recent films is another dual format edition of Abbas Kiarostami's Like Someone in Love, which is from 2012. And uh, this film just kind of, uh, this sort of went nowhere. I mean, I, it, it should have done a lot better. I'm a big fan of the Kiarostami. He's awesome. No, he is. But, you know, I, I would have thought, I mean, his, his films, you know, they didn't sort of... Uh, this just didn't take off like a lot of his sort of more hardcore Iranian movies did, but um, that's too bad. Anyway, this was this is basically French produced, and uh, it's lovely. It's absolutely lovely. So uh, you definitely want to check that out. Like someone in love, and uh, then there's also Overlord, which is uh, the Stuart Cooper film from 1975. Not old, not recent. It's, it's you a know, good movie. Really good movie. Overlord. I have it on. Uh, actually, I have the uh, DVD of that. I may not get the. I may not tr uh, get the Blu-ray because I have the DVD and I haven't watched the movie in years. Oh, it's very good. It's very very good. It's not a movie you want to revisit. You know, well, it's it's uh, it, it's basically uh, you know it, it's sort of the the road to D-Day is probably the best way to to describe it. But the it's really gorgeously gorgeously photographed, and uh, that is a tribute to the amazing John Alcott, who you know most famous for doing, obviously Barry Lyndon. Uh, you know, what cl very very close uh, collaboration with Kubrick. Oh, by the way, uh, 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 Wade. Yeah. While you were droning on about those stupid the Fox movies titles. that no one will ever see. Yeah. Uh, we did not even talk about Gordon Willis. I, I'm so depressed. Why? We have all these great Paramount movies to talk about. Okay, you are going to name your you are going to name your favorite. Um, oh, don't do this. To Gordon me. Willis film that is not The Godfather. Ugh. And I'm going to name mine. Well, that's easy. The, my favorite Gordon Willis film is not The Godfather; is Godfather Part Two. How dare you! <laughs> I mean, if you want my favorite, you want my favorite Gordon Willis film that is not uh, of the Godfather ilk. Yes, that's what I meant. Manhattan. Really? Yeah, yeah. I don't it, think. It, it, wait, okay. In terms of the the over the film itself, or the way it was shot. The way it was shot. I mean, Manhattan. I mean, let's let's remember when you know nobody was really doing black and white anymore. Black and white kind of evaporated. In the once the widescreen era came around, you know, black and white films were really on their on their last legs in the early '60s. They really, really were. I mean, To Kill a Mockingbird, and then a few more, and then it, just, it was done. It was over. And you've got no more. Bla I mean, for a long time, they had separate categories: black and white cinematography, color cinematography, black and white costume design. You know, they were they were, they recognized that black and white was a separate kind of discipline from color. And then that those academy categories just they did away with black and white because there weren't any more. And black and white vanished really throughout the that better, better part of the '60s and then into the early part of the '70s. Nobody was doing black and white movies anymore. Woody Allen resurrected it, you know, and he he did it with um, at first with uh, oh gosh I'm drawing a blank. Annie Hall. Not in, Annie Hall isn't black and white. No, no, uh, Stardust Memories. Right. Right, Stardust Memories, black and white. And then Manhattan is, is like this amazing moment when everybody realized all of a sudden, again, black and white could be gorgeous. And, of course, then by 1980, you know, you've got that amazing year where you've got two black and white movies nominated for Best Picture in the same year, Elephant Man and Raging Bull. And even though Raging Bull has color in it, but that being said, predominantly black and white. You know, it, it, it suddenly it made people fall in love with black and white again. And Manhattan really is the movie where that happened. Even though Stardust Memories precedes it, Manhattan is like it captures the soul, the heart of the city. And you realize New York is just beautiful in black and white. Like, to really appreciate New York, you have to see it in black and white. And he just, 
I mean, tell me that the shot from the poster of them on the bench with the, with the Brooklyn oh, Bridge in the back, it's like, that's amazing. That is an incredible shot. But I, I'm surprised. It's just magic. But I'm surprised you didn't say it. Although, although this film is is more fun and frivolous. Yeah. Uh, Zelig. Yeah. That took a lot. I mean, for oh, 90, yeah. I mean that was 1983. You know, to incorporate Woody into all those all those costumes, True. all the effects that it took to get into yeah. those time periods. Pre digital. Pre digital. Yeah. That's impressive too. Very true. So Gordon Absolutely. Willis will uh, oh. be missed. Uh, some other Gordon Willis films that you might uh, know, if you don't know them, you should. Yes. Uh, is uh, uh, All the President's Men. Annie Hall. Clute. Clute. Right. He Purple Rose of Cairo. Yeah. And by the way, the, the, he also shot, this is, this is probably the least prestigious film he ever shot. Now, whenever I go to a, 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 um, a housewarming party. Yes. And you, and you to, go to a lot. I do. Yeah. And you have to bring a gift. Right. I, most people, they'll bring beer, they'll bring flowers, they'll you bring know, I don't coasters. Go to many, I don't go to most, most, uh, a lot of housewarming parties. I really don't. Good. You it's, know why? Why? I don't like bringing gifts. Okay. Well, if you're invited to a housewarming party... I have the perfect gift. Yes. Get them the Blu-ray or the DVD of The Money Pit starring right. Tom Hanks. Because that's funny. It is funny. Okay. That film was panned at the time, but I it's know. funny. But it's also funny to bring that to a housewarming. It gift is. to a it's, housewarming. It's good. It's good. It's funny. That movie shot by Gordon Willis. I know. Probably Very the, true. Probably the least prestigious that, film he ever shot. That movie directed by? Uh, <laughs> Richard Benjamin. Oh, really? Yes. I love Richard Benjamin. Who also directed Westworld for some reason. I used to talk to him all the time. By the way, okay. <laughs> and I have a Gordon Willis story really quickly, not to no, no, draw no, no. the show out too okay. much longer, but no, anyway. Okay, I, 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 I wasn't going to say this on the show because yeah. I didn't, didn't want to like, you know, go public with it. Yeah. But I have to tell you. Yes. Yeah, the other day, I was at this, uh, this fair. It's, it was called the World Fest. Yes. And they have food from all over the world. It's all vegan food, a bunch of crappy vegan food. Sure. And a bunch of dogs and cats. You adopt them. It's like for a bunch of hippies. Who, you know, a bunch of priests <laughs> drove up and all these people got out. Okay. So um, I'm with Mike Rotman. Right. The producer of Stupid for Movies. Who's eating all the vegan stuff and all the vegetarian stuff. Um, and he says... Don't come, tell people. He's, you're joking. Don't say people's never coming back. I mean, it's, it, there are uh, things happening we keep uh, getting told. So whatever. There, there, there's nothing happening. So... Um, <laughs> So let's face it. Who are we kidding? So anyway, he's there with two of his friends, right? Yes. This uh, uh, was woman. Yes. And this, uh, her boyfriend. Yeah. So the woman, very attractive woman, looks a little sure. bit like Sarah Silverman. Sure. Got that Sarah Silverman look. Right. Right. Uh, her name is Caprice. Sure. So I talked to Caprice for a little bit, a little while, you know, see what she's about. Mm-hmm. Uh, turns out that Caprice's mother. Yes. Wade will love this. Only Wade will love this. Yes. Caprice's mother. Yes. Tina Louise. No kidding. I hung out for half an hour with Tina Louise's daughter. Does she look like her mom? No, she looks like Sarah Silverman. But I mean, she's tall and thin and is very pretty. Tina Louise has a daughter that looks like Sarah Silverman. Yes. That's just nature being cruel. That's just nature being cruel. <laughs> see if I can Google her right now. All right. Well, oh, no, she, she's out there. You can Google her. All right. Oh, here she is. Hang on. Hang Beautiful. on. Well, I'm going to show you right now. Oh, right. Look at Tina Louise. Oh, my God. Poor girl. So that's the, that's I'm showing Wade right now on Google Images. So that's uh, the daughter on the left and Tina Louise on the no, right. No, she looks like her mom. I mean, yeah, I but mean, she's she very pretty. Like, I mean, she looks like Tina Louise and Sarah Silverman reproduced. Right. But yeah. Sure. Okay. Who's her dad? What's her last name? Uh, uh, her last name is Crane. Interesting. Now I'm not sure right. if because uh, I, I I don't know if her was Tina Louise married to Bob Crane. Uh, I hope not. All right. Reality television. We're going to get into some TV right now, but I'm going to, I'm going to blow through some reality television crap because it's all crap. Uh, I can't stand any of it. Mountain Man, season Les two. Les Crane. Tina Louise was married to Les Crane. Well, you know what? He's a radio announcer. Les Crane is more. 
I don't know what that means. Uh, Mountain Men Season 2. Ah, stay wild. Uh, History Channel continues to make reality shows that have absolutely nothing to do with history. Just like the Learning Channel continues to do stuff like Honey Boo Boo, which are like anti-learning. Uh, you know what, this is, uh, I, I guess this is fine if you want to, you know, watch a lot of hairy guys be wild and uh, survivalist and do what they do. It's the 21st century, we don't really need people doing the Grizzly Adams deal anymore, but they still do. And these guys are into it and a lot of people love this show. And uh, there are 16 episodes, I did not watch but a fraction of two of them. And that's enough for me. Uh, but if, if you dig it, speaking of Mountain Men, Duck Dynasty, Duck Days of Summer. Ah, uh, Yeah. Check out that Hawaiian shirt on the dude. You know, that show is kind of, uh, it's kind of on the downslide. Well, you know, no one's really talking about it anymore. The numbers are down. Yeah, ever since the whole, you know... Uh, the movies that I hate gay the, people or something. The dust up, whatever it was. It's, you know... I mean, look, it's... You're only... Even if that had not happened, you're only going to be able to squeeze so much interest out of a bunch of hairy guys who have a duck call business. Truly. It, yeah, but, it, they have a little, it, but look at the Kardashians. They literally do nothing with their lives. They, they, have, they, they It's all over. I keep waiting for that thing to run its course. I don't happen. know who watches that. Who watches that? What is going to happen next week with the Kardashians that has not already happened 170,000 times? Ha- here's the thing. To be a hit in cable, how many people really have to watch that show? You know what the difference is? Two million? A lot of men watch the Kardashians just because they, they keep hoping that they're going to get nudity on cable. Uh, uh, who, the, I can't imagine anybody wanting to see these guys get nude. Oh, I do. So... There you go. Anyway, uh, this is just this is just you know the uh, the the, uh, the Duck Dynasty guys on vacation basically. And look at the oh, look, they got surfboards behind them. They're like, yeah, whatever. Um, and then we have Kendra on top. Uh, didn't you do a show with Kendra at some point? Uh, I I worked with Kendra for a day, and yeah. uh, she's an idiot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> She's an idiot. What am I going to say? She's a nice lady, I guess. Okay. Well, this is the complete second season uncensored. Of Kendra on top, a show that nobody knew existed. I know it, it's it, well. It, it airs on Wii, you know. W E. I was k- 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 let me see. Yeah. Anyway, I was so I, excited. It's, it's, I, it's, I I I did I did a shoot with I did a shoot with Kendra. This is yeah. for the Wii Network. I did a shoot with Kendra, and um, she was answering a, a listener mail. It's just insufferable. And so uh, she was answering listener mail, and yeah. I wrote one of the, I wrote one of the emails myself. Sure. And I signed it, Shana. Now, Shane is my cousin. Uh-huh. So I wanted to have Kendra, who was a star at the time, sure. say Shana's name. Right. And then I would call her up and say, hey, your cool cousin Mark had got Kendra Wilkinson to say your name. Right. So um, we're shooting this thing, and Kendra is literally reading these emails off a piece of paper. Right? Okay. So instead of saying Shana, because she's an idiot, she literally calls her Shanye. Oh, my God! Because you can't read Shane. Oh, God! Two syllables were two syllables too long for her. Heaven help us. So I, normally I would have stopped Kendra and I would have said, can you please do that again? But I didn't mm-hmm. because we had to go. We had a roll. We only had it for an hour. She had to do this for us. And I thought, God damn it. This was my chance to be the cool cousin yeah. who gets a big star like Kendra to say her name. Turns out Kendra's so stupid, she can't even say the name Shana. She said Shanye. That's pretty cool, though. No, it's not. It's, it's not pretty cool, cool at all. That's pretty cool. Anyway, so Maverick is on... Uh, here we, we have the fifth season of Maverick is on Blu-ray. Maverick is... Uh, it's a great show. You'll never watch it. Okay. Uh, I mean, come on. What are you talking about here? The original... The original uh, now, know. Brett Maverick... Yeah. Uh, now, here's the thing. Like, years and years after James Garner had already put down the original Maverick show and had already yes. done uh, Rockford Files, 
he, I guess, had had was in debt or had boat payments or yes. owed money to the IRS, and he winds up doing <laughs> Brett Maverick, which is like 20 years after the Maverick show ended, where Maverick becomes a legitimate businessman in yeah. the Arizona Territory. And look, by you know 1981, Maverick was just it, nobody cared anymore. Yeah, the thing ran for one season, 18 episodes. It was one season and out. And so I don't know who's going to buy this, but uh, if it's available from Warner Archive if you want it. And it's uh, Maverick doing whatever it is Maverick does, shooting nice. people. Bam, bam. All right. In the uh, in the 1980s, somebody said, you know what? We got nothing but crappy uh, animated shows on TV for Saturday mornings. Let's uh, resurrect something that was really cool once upon a time. So they did a new 13-episode run of Johnny Quest. And the uh, Warner Archive people have now dumped out the complete 80s adventures of Johnny Quest as part of the Hanna-Barbera Classic Collection. And uh, I was never a huge fan of Johnny Quest, either the original or the this uh, second incarnation. Uh, but I, you know what? I, I understand why people dig it, and I, I, I totally get it. And you know, the characters and the adventures, and he's a kid, and kids love kids that have adventures because they usually are just sitting at home and not doing anything. And so that's fine. It's uh, it is what it is. And Hanna Barbera was was smart to do it. Not my speed, but you know, I'm sure somebody has really nostalgic affection for it. And speaking of nostalgic affection. Now, the fifth season of Happy Days is on uh, DVD. Now, there's good news and bad news about the fifth season of Happy Days. Yeah. Here's the good news. Right. The good news is that the fifth season is the season that introduced Mork from Mork. Yes. Right? And Mork right. will, of course, get his spinoff show, Mork mm-hmm. Mini. It also was the first season that uh, Chachi showed up, Pinky Tuscadero. By the way, Pinky Tuscadero. Oh, Pinky. I, I still do this. It's the way you have to snap your fingers like Pinky used to yeah, do. Yeah, I know, I know. But that's actually, that's actually a Three Stooges thing originally. You know, I know, it's like, but, but, hey, but see, hey. I didn't know that because I was, I was never a Three Stooges fan. I know. So when Pinky did it, I thought it was super cool. That's yeah. what she did. So that's the good news. The bad... I was always a bigger fan of Leather Tuscadero, I have to say. Leather, much more attractive than Pinky. Um, also. Well, I thought at least. Also. Yeah. That's the good news. The bad news is that this is the season where the show literally... Jumps the shark. Because <laughs> this is the season That's with the, the season. episode I know. where Fonzie jumps over a shark if, it, in a tank. It is, it is, uh, that, that is the last time an actual a television episode introduced a new phrase to the vernacular. Yes. I mean, that's amazing how that, at, that became a thing. That's right. He jumps the shark in it's season amazing. five, literally and figuratively. However, it's a memorable season. It is. You know, and the show kept going. So uh, I, I love Happy Days. I just can't believe that. The coolest person of my generation was a Jew. <laughs> I, you know, had I known, it's just I didn't realize that. All I knew is that he was super cool. It's true. Turns out, Jew. Yep. Very true. Henry Winkler, the man. All right. Uh, Longmire, uh, complete second season, is out on DVD. This is a, uh, an a original, uh, which is coming back now in its third season. And uh, i got to say, this is probably the best thing that Lou Diamond Phillips has been able to do in quite some time. I'm glad he got a TV show so he doesn't have to do bad straight-to-video movies anymore. He, of course, is not the central character in this. Uh, the, you know, this is the... Uh, this stars Robert Taylor as the... The badass lawman dude with the uh, with the cowboy hat, and it's basically you know a, a Wyoming set modern day western. But it's uh, you know I, I I need more exposure to this show to really kind of soak it in. A lot of people really love this show. Uh, I can I can see what's what's going on. So uh, you know it it has fairly short episode runs, thirteen episodes here, and uh, in the second season. And uh, I I guess this is this show is going to be around a while because people really really dig it. <laughs> Um, I need to give it more of a chance. 
fourth season of Nikita, uh, which is yet another incarnation of La Femme Nikita. Uh, I, I'm amazed that this thing's out on both the DVD and a Blu-ray ultraviolet combo set. I am just stunned that this thing keeps on ticking. And I'm also kind of stunned that they don't give you the ultraviolet access on the DVD. It seems to me that they should, but they want to make that part of the Blu-ray purchase, part of the added value of it. Um, I just don't understand how this thing keeps, keeps ticking. I really don't. Um, kind of mystifies me. It just, it, I mean, I love the whole concept of the lethal female assassin, but I kind of felt like, you know, the original movie, the American remake with Bridget Fonda, the first incarnation of this series... It kind of, and then Alias, which is basically the same thing. It like, how much more can people really take of this? It's a cable show. Again, you can get two million viewers in a country of yeah. three hundred and thirty million yeah. and be a hit on cable. Well, there you go. You don't need much. All right. Well, anyway, there it is. That's uh, for the fourth and final season of Nikita. Yes, that you know of. It's, well, it's done, but I mean, it's like... There could be more th- th- coming. I, I, I assure you there's going to be another one. There's going to be another female assassin series next year or the year after, and it'll be, you know, uh, it'll be called, like, just Fum or Nikki. Who knows? I don't know. They keep on going. All right, Mark, first giveaway. Yeah. You, you waited all this time to do the giveaway? Well, you know, we got three of them, so people need to hang around. They need to, you know, uh, keep them on the hook. Yeah, three, well, wait, so we have three giveaways this week? Yes. We're not, how many giveaways do we have next week? None. So we couldn't have like two this week and one next week spread out the... Uh, no. The, no. Okay. No, because this is a film we already covered and the other two we're talking about this week. Fine. Okay. Uh, Poseidon Rex is a movie we already talked about. It's, uh, you know, a monster movie. So in honor of Godzilla, since we're not giving away Godzilla, we're giving away Poseidon Rex. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a lower budget film, but it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. So uh, we, are, um, we are going to give away two copies of uh, actually three, sorry, I made a mistake. Three, so we um, we got three Poseidon Rexes to give away. So go ahead and send us an email to gods at digigods.com. Uh, put Rex, just R E X, Rex, not any other weird spelling of, of it, but Rex in the uh, in the subject. And uh, please get us your emails stamped by date stamped by May twenty third, Friday, May twenty third. Uh, and as long as they're date stamped by Friday, May 23rd, you will be in the running, and three people will win Upside and Rex. Put your name and address in the body of the email, and you cannot apply for all, you can't uh, 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 enroll for all three uh, giveaways. You've got to go for only one. So listen for the other two, pick one, and uh, three lucky people will get Poseidon Rex. Pretty cool, right? It's a big monster movie. Yep. Or dinosaur thing. You stompy, know? stompy. Dinosaur coming out of the ocean. It's great. Uh, and then the other two, we will uh, we will uh, jump into momentarily. Mark, I want to talk about some foreign films really quickly. Yes, sir. Please do. I would be remiss if I did not plug two Blu-ray releases, two fantastic Blu-ray releases from Cohen Media, because our good friend Andy Klein, yay, does these commentaries. What? In conjunction. Conjunction, junction. What's your function? With yours truly. Uh, Andy and I did the commentaries for uh, three Claude Chabrol films. And we're going to be doing more, man. 
These were really fun. Uh, first off, uh, The Color of Lies is the more recent one. Claude Chabrol film starring Sandrine Bonner and Jacques Gamblin and uh, Antoine de Cohn. Uh, this is a really, really cool, like a lot of Chabrol, this takes place in a, in a coastal town. You know, it's not in the big city where things are evil. It's about evil lurking in these pastoral locations. And uh, it is, it's basically about a guy who is uh, a somewhat crippled uh, art instructor and uh, failed artist. And... Uh, he becomes a little, maybe possibly a little bit suspected of uh, a, uh, a murder uh, of a young girl who was a student of his. Sandrine Bonaire plays his wife. There are all kinds of interesting histories and all, and things get very, very tangled and interesting. And uh, I give you nothing else here. It is a really, really interesting film. And uh, Andy and I had a blast doing the commentary for this because we love this film. It is one of the best uh, fairly recent uh, Chabrol films. And it is definitely worth checking out. And then there is the wonderful Inspector Lavardin collection. Uh, this is two films. The two films that constitute the two uh, Inspector Lavardin films. There is uh, Chicken with Vinegar, other known, otherwise known as Poulet au Vinaigre, uh, which was made in 1985. And then the following year, he made Inspector Lavardin, the follow-up. And uh, this is an awful lot of fun. Uh, Jean Poiret plays Inspector Lavardin, who is the most enjoyable character because he's, he's like Columbo... On a, uh, on a really bad day. He's not, he doesn't solve crimes because he's a really great detective. He solves crimes because he just gets so fed up with everything that he like, breaks the law. He like, breaks in and he slaps people around. And he, he's, he's the most unethical inspector in the world. And people keep telling him, you're going to get in trouble for this. But he never does because he winds up solving the crime. He just cuts through all the BS and he just does whatever he wants. So really the ends justify the means. Totally. And they're really fun. These are funnier than most of his films. They are really terrific. And uh, we had a great time doing the commentaries for these as well. I, I would point out as well that the first of these films is a thriller. The second one is a mystery. Totally different structure. But, you know, uh, Poiret is a fantastic figure. And it's worth mentioning that Jean Poiret, who plays Inspector Lavardin here, also, as a writer is the guy who wrote um, La Cage au Fall. Interesting. But he didn't get to actually act in the film version. He starred in the, in the play, he starred in the, in the stage production of it, but he, never got, he didn't get the call up to be in the, in the movie version. So he got his revenge by being Inspector Lavardin, which is pretty great. Yep. Yep, good stuff. Uh, let's see, uh, some other foreign language films. Uh, you know what? In honor of our, our good friend and longtime listener, uh, Alexander Berlika... I want to make quick mention of a film that I know uh, gives him endless amounts of indigestion. So this is a shout-out to you, Alexander. Uh, <laughs> the Blu-ray ultraviolet combo set of Stalingrad. Now, Stalingrad, of course, is a famous battle. Uh, one of the legendary World War II uh, battles between the Germans and the Russians. There was a previous uh, film called Stalingrad, which was uh, a German film that was boring beyond all, all, beyond all comprehension. Really, really still born in, back in the 90s. Uh, this is a gigantic monstrosity of a movie, a big melodramatic, misguided, just flop, uh, bloated, horrible Hollywood tentpole wannabe, just stillborn mess, uh, directed by Fedor Bondarchuk. Now, Fedor Bondarchuk is um, the son of the great Sergei Bondarchuk, who, of course, did War and Peace, the most expensive film in history until... I guess, Terminator 2 or something. I mean, it was $100 million back in 1964, 65. It's like he used... I mean, you've, you've seen War and Peace? 
No, what, not, you, not in its entirety. It's like eight, eight hours, eight, nine, yeah, ten I'm, hours long. I'm, I'm I went and saw that at the American Cinematheque. The whole mm-hmm. thing. There was a lunch break and a dinner break. I, I went. I was one of 60 people. I went and sat through that thing. 60 people good. or 60, idiot, 60 no, idiots? 60 people. 60 people. We didn't eat together or anything, but you know, we were all there. Anyway, this is just really not a good movie. Um, it really isn't. And I'm amazed at how many people actually kind of gave this good reviews. It's just, it's just stupid. Uh, you're better off watching a documentary about it. But anyway, that's out there on Blu-ray and Ultraviolet, if you, if you actually care. And then, uh, speaking of war films, uh, Generation War is a, is a really, really good movie. This, is a, uh, this, is take, this takes place in Berlin, 1941, uh, just on the eve of the invasion of the Soviet Union. So this is the sort of uh, precursor to it. And it is, uh, it is a really, really powerful, powerful uh, German epic uh, about this whole, you know, on the ground, the, the lead into it. It's, uh, it's pretty impressive, but it's really freaking long. This thing is nearly five hours long. So, uh, but it's, it's worth watching. It really is worth watching if you have the time. It really gets into the, from the whole German point of view of it and the, the grunt point of view. It's really good. So if you can, uh, if you can uh, wade your way through it, uh, it, is, it is definitely worth it. I am about two hours in, so I've got a long way still to go. But uh, I'm liking what I'm watching. Just saying that. Interesting. Wait. Saying that. Speaking of interesting, uh, one of the best films of uh, of its type, I guess, foreign films last year was *A Stranger by the Lake*. Yep. Terrific film. This, um, just you know, this uh, movie uh, contains a lot of um, rather explicit uh, gay sex. Um, letting you know that uh, because otherwise, it's great. It's a story of uh, friendship and murder in a, in this lake where. Uh, Gay people go cruising yeah. for boyfriends and for hookups. And uh, while cruising for a boyfriend and a hookup, uh, handsome Frank uh, meets a guy, and uh, I'm not going to tell you anymore because there's a lot of twists and turns in this film. It's very, you know what? It's, this thing is um, it's very kind of Hitchcockian. It moves sort of very slowly, kind of straightforward. It's not like a super duper thriller thing. Um, it's got its own kind of pace, and uh, it's still got. Some moments of humor in it, which is kind of nice. Yeah, very realistic looking. The performances are very realistic, and uh, it's good. It's a really good movie, Stranger by the Lake. It's from Strand, and it's on Blu-ray and DVD. I would definitely, um, uh, I mean, buy it if you know what you're getting into. Definitely rent it though if you want to be a little avant-garde with your thriller choices. So uh, there you go, a very sexy thriller, really good stuff. Stranger by the Lake. This uh, this screen in Cannes, did it not? I think last year. It, I think it did. Um, that, sounds, that sounds right. And uh, did well there. So anyway, good stuff. And then we've got another gay-themed film. This is called Truth, and this is from the label Canteen Outlaws. And uh, uh, this is uh, you know, one of those gay-themed films that probably has more of a crossover appeal because it's a, it's a pretty tough, gritty look at a, uh, a very troubled relationship that begins with uh, an Internet hookup. And uh, it's, uh, it's not, you know, you, you see a lot of these usually at like gay and lesbian film festivals and certainly Outfest in L.A. has a lot of films that sort of, they, you know, it's like they're sort of all in the same vein and they all kind of target the same straight to, to video demo. But this, uh, this gets a little bit more beneath the surface. So I, I, this has some interesting extras on it. And uh, I would say, you know, if you, if you want to see something that's a little bit off the beaten path on this subject, Truth is worth checking out from the uh, relatively new label, Canteen Outlaws. And, um... 
And let's, uh, let's talk about new movies. What, really? Yeah. I think we should talk about more of those Paramount films that no one's ever heard of. No, no. Let's talk about new movies. And those were Fox films that nobody's ever heard Fine. of. Fine. You've got to get um, your studio straight. All right. Uh, as we're yes, wrapping sir. out the show. Yes. Wade. Yes. We're getting there. Yeah. Uh, Monuments Men is another uh, directing misfire from uh, George Clooney. Now, I love the idea that he did this film. I think it's got a great cast. Clooney, Damon, Bill Murray, John Goodman, Jean Dujardin, Bob yep. Balaban, Kate Blanchett. Great stuff. Uh, it's about these. Uh, this it's a World War II platoon movie. They have to go into Germany and rescue uh, uh, art masterpieces from Nazi thieves, and so you, you really set up for something really fun. And it turns out I don't know how much fun he wanted this film to be, because it's really not all that much fun. And I think that's the problem. With it. I think it, it's funny. I think he really misjudged our interest in taking this story. Not that's not an important historical story, but he misjudged our interest in. Wanting this movie to be so damn serious. Yep. You know? I do. It's, uh, it's just kind of flat, and it's uneven, and I just think it needed just a little bit of that Inglorious Bastards uh, funk. Yep. I yeah, but, but maybe Clooney thought he had to make the anti-Inglorious you know, Bastards. This Inglorious Bastards has already done that. Yeah. But in the end... Uh, I, like the, I like the movie. I mean, it's not, it's not amazing, but I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a great cast and a lot of fun, and I learned a lot. Felt old-fashioned. Felt like an old-fashioned movie. Um, no, wait, yes. Uh, Way of the Wicked with Christian uh, Slater. Uh, primarily, you know, I mean, look, it's primarily a, a, a Vinnie Jones movie more than a Christian Slater movie, I would say, but uh, they throw Christian Slater in a, in a priest collar on the cover because I guess Vinnie Jones doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, crack everything up when it comes to selling Blu rays. Anyway, this is on Blu ray. And uh, it is a, uh, a supernatural thriller that's not quite as thrilling as it should be, but I, you know, I, I guess it, it has a certain connection to uh, the, um, the Name of the Rose in some respects, which was the last time that Christian Slater was involved in some kind of a murder mystery that had an ecclesiastical bent to it. You know, that was a period film. Uh, this is not, but uh, I don't know. It's... Uh, it's not bad. It's not boring. I've certainly seen. I've seen worse. So it's just you know, Christian Slater just screams straight to video for me now. And Vinnie Jones, man, he had a moment. You know, he had a moment. But Jason Statham kind of stole his fire. Jason Statham's better looking, and he fights better. I'm done with Jason Statham. Done yeah. with him. Um, Kevin Costner is due for a career resurrection. Yeah, However, he is. it's uh, not going to start with uh, Three Days to Kill. Oh man, this is a uh, this is a weird little action misfire from um, quote unquote director McGee. And uh, what's weird about this movie is that it's it kind of has two different uh, kind of has two different purposes that wind up not really meshing that well. Right. It's a thriller, but yet it's kind of sort of funny. It thinks it is. Yes, Wade. You get to talk all about no, hand, this. Hand me, no, no, you no, know no. You're going to. Well, yeah, that I am. That I am. But hand okay, me, hand, hand, me the, hand me our, our second giveaway. I don't wish Bottom of the pile. Bottom of the pile. Thank you. Thank you. There you go, Uncle. There you go, Uncle Wade. Thank you. Anyway. So, um, <laughs> this with Amber Heard, who's also known as uh, Amber Heard Depp, and Haley Steinfeld, who actually I'm glad is getting work because she, um, I was afraid that after um, True Grit, yes. she would get no work. I don't know why I feared that. Uh, I don't know. Because I loved her in that movie so much. I'm so glad she was nominated. Anyway, um, it's, it's not thrilling enough to be a thriller, not funny enough to be a comedy. Don't know what it is. Three Days to Kill. Yeah. By the way, you know Haley Steinfeld? You know what I just found out recently? She's like Body by Jake's niece or something. <laughs> Because he's Jake Steinfeld. 
Like really? at first I thought it was his daughter, but somebody was like, no, it's his niece. Whatever. She's related to Body by Jake. Who, by the way, I saw at the market the other day. Yes. He no longer has a Body by Jake. Oh, you used that line before. I know, I did. <laughs> but it's worth using again, isn't it? Yeah, sort of. Okay. Uh, Wade Pompey oh. is uh, out on Blu-ray. Good grief. Make it quick. I got a couple more here. Uh, the movie sucks. <laughs> it there you really go. See how quick I made it? It's it's dreadful. Why did they do this? And why is Kiefer Sutherland in this movie? How mm. much did they pay him? How how astronomical was his salary to be able to to, to go in Pompeii? Uh, in secret, uh, I'm going to recommend. I'm sorry that this isn't on Blu-ray, darn it. Uh, but we have uh, we can give away some DVDs of, of In Secret, and um, uh, we can give away two of these. So go ahead and send us a, a an email to gods at digigods.com. Put secret. In the subject line, put your name and address in the body, and uh, we will pick, and also, again, it has to be date-stamped by the 23rd, Friday the 23rd, and we will pick two lucky people who get a copy of In Secret, which is the uh, adaptation of Emile Zola's Therese Raquin, starring uh, Elizabeth Olsen and Oscar Isaac as the ill-fated lovers, and Jessica Lange as the, uh, the evil um, mother-in-law of, uh, of Elizabeth Olsen's original husband, who, of course, dies, and she... She's just a, a horrible, wretched woman that has it all in for her, her daughter-in-law. Uh, really, this is, uh, this is the story of an oppressed woman and uh, a, a forbidden love. And Oscar Isaac is a terrific actor. And Elizabeth Olsen is a terrific actress. Is it the definitive telling of Therese Rockham? Not, not even remotely. I've seen a few other of these. A really good one for British television. But this is worth checking out. Directed by Charlie Stratton and written by Charlie Stratton. And uh, quite well adapted, I would say, by uh, Neil Bell from the original novel. Uh, it gets a little hysterical at times, but it's uh, it, it's worth checking out, and always nice to see Jessica Lange in uh, you know pitched form. And then, Mark, yes, ma'am, this tanked, and I'm so sorry that it did because this is terrifically entertaining. Vampire Academy. I'm so sorry that this bombed. This thing is the most thoroughly entertaining pastiche, and I, I think the reason it bombed is because nobody really realized that it is, a, it is a satirical pastiche of all those vampire movies, all those Harry Potter movies, uh, all of those Twilight movies. It takes them all, and it just wraps them all into one great big conglomeration. And it's a riot. I didn't realize how funny it was supposed to be right at the beginning, uh, but then I realized this movie is supposed to be funny, and by the end, I, I just completely lost it. The last... 10, 15 minutes are hysterical. Um, a clue should be the fact that uh, Mark Waters and Daniel Waters did this film. Uh, Mark r- directed Mean Girls, and Daniel wrote Heathers. And all of those sensibilities are all over this film. It's basically about young vampires who go to a Harry Potter-type academy. Some of them are vampires. Others are not vampires, but they are born to a race that defends vampires. And, of course, there's you know evil lurking in their hills and ancient secrets and uh, all kinds of treacherous goings-on. And uh, I thought it was just fantastically, fabulously entertaining. And I congratulate Daniel and Mark Waters for doing a great job. Great job. So much fun. Vampire Academy, Blu-ray and Ultraviolet deserves to be rediscovered. Got it. Wait, do we have like a Vox box or something? We do have a Vox well, box. We're gonna end the show. It. We're gonna end the show. We got a few few docs. I gotta oh. get out of the way here. We got one more giveaway. Got we have giveaway. a giveaway, a Vox box, and more DVDs. It was like an hour and a half show. Let's do it. We'll do it in a moment. What 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 do you got? You got uh-huh. two, two, we, we got new movies. We got right, like five either, more titles. You're either gonna love or hate Grand Piano. This is oh, a, I love um, this movie. Which I, I guess I liked it too. It's this really is really Hitchcockian. It's very Hitchcockian uh, a thriller about a uh, Elijah Wood plays a, a concert uh, pianist who. Um, Gets a message written um, on his latest score before right before he walks out, and the note says, "Play one wrong note and you die." Yep. 
And so uh, what's going to happen? It's very tense. It's very contrived. It's a little bit silly, but you know what? Uh, it it kind of works on its own strange, crazy, uh, helter-skelter level. Yes. You kind of can't uh, beat it. Good stuff. Grand Piano. Very interesting thriller. Check I that out. I think it is. I think this is fabulously well-directed. I really do. I think... Uh, well-edited, too. Yeah. Eugenia Mira. This is all shot in Spain, by the way. It's entirely a Spanish production. All shot in Spain. In English, of course. But uh, I think it's fantastic. I, I think Elijah Wood does a great job. Really, really tight film. Uh, about Last Night is on uh, Blu-ray. This is the African-American take oh on the uh, classic Why? David Mamet play. I didn't like the original. Play. I don't like this one. <laughs> Um, this one is, is uh, I will say it's better than I thought it was going to be, but in yeah. the end, um, I just, uh, didn't care. No, I, I mean, know. I know. I and you know it. what? Kevin Hart, don't get it. Right. I don't get it. I know. I'm the last one. I think he's funny, but I don't like this movie. Exactly. All right. And then our last giveaway. Mark's happy. Generation Iron. Uh, this is the, uh, the, the guy, the producer who originally did Pumping Iron, uh, was able to get behind this. This is uh, essentially him revisiting the whole bodybuilding thing. And uh, he got Mickey Rourke to do the narration. And uh, this gets into the whole world of competitive bodybuilding as it is now. Uh, it revisits that whole world. And uh, it's, you know what, it is a, it is a troubling, fascinating, and uh, pretty intense world. And I, I'm not particularly a fan of it, but you, you can't. The, the documentary is great. It's irresistible. This was originally done for stars. And uh, it, is, it is a really, really, really good documentary. Cannot help but recommend it. So uh, we're giving away three of these. So go ahead and send us an email with iron in the subject line, iron, and your name and address. Send it by the 23rd, date stamped on the 23rd, and we will send three lucky people Generation Iron. So those are our giveaways, Mark. Uh, we are, send us one with Rex. If you want Poseidon Rex, we're going to give away three of those. Send us Secret in the subject line. We'll give away two of In Secret, and send us one with Iron in the subject, and we will give away three Generation Irons. Those are our three giveaways this week. We are being incredibly generous, thanks to some publicists who are very, very kind to us. And uh, with that now, we are going to move to Mark. We're wrapping out with... Oh, can I do it? Go ahead. Fine. Yes. <laughs> This is Levy again. Um, so I've been writing some reviews for my university student magazine and I'm getting a taste of what it feels like to find things to say about horrible movies. Do you often find that you have nothing to say because the film is so mundane and redundant that to write about its flaws and complain make your, makes your review mundane and redundant in and of itself? Uh, I'm sure being studied film critics you have a lot to say but you have been working for many years now. Does it get harder to figure out what to write about or complain about? I hope that question makes sense, and keep up the great work. Cheers. Thank you, Levy. What a, what a, what a great question. Uh, you know, there have been over the I'll, I'll say there have been at least over the course of the past, uh, I don't want to say how many years, but too many years, at least three moments where I thought, you know, I think I want to become a house painter because I just have nothing left to say about movies. I can't, I can't, I cannot write another review. I cannot sit down and just start typing, uh, this is a charming rip of... I just I can't do it. There like been three times when I just felt like I'm done. I'm burned out. I'm just I'm over with. And then I take a vacation or I, I get a good night's sleep or something, and I, I somehow regen or I see a great movie and somehow it rejuvenates you. But I, I, sometimes I do burn out, and there are moments, especially with bad movies, where in fact sometimes bad movies are easier to write about 
because you just you just want to ridicule them until the, the sun comes up. But usually it's the really good movies, or the mediocre movies, I should say. Mediocre movies are ones where I sometimes I'm just like, I don't know what to say about this. It's like, meh. Meh would be the best review. So yeah, sometimes it's really hard. It's true. I mean, if, if a movie's really good or really bad, it's easier to write about. Because yeah. your emotions are flowing, you yeah. had a very strong reaction to it. Yes. If you have a strong reaction, that's going to make for good writing. Yes. Uh, most movies you see will be okay. They'll, they will fail in some respects and succeed in others. They'll be fine. Yes. So you just have to find... You know, look, a, a movie is... You have to look at it like a movie is an artistic statement being made by... A bunch of craftsmen, either they made, what, what were they trying to achieve and did they achieve it? And you can go all the way, and also what, did, what, did, what is the movie trying to tell you and did it do a good job telling it to you? You know, all movies have a theme. They're True. about something. And either they convey that theme effectively or they don't. And maybe that theme is something that is relevant to contemporary politics or society that you can get into. Maybe there's a, um, it's a pattern. Maybe it stars somebody who's done a whole lot of bad movies recently. Maybe it's with a director who's from another country, and that country is, uh, is, uh, you know, is, is, has become a hot spring of big directors, like when South Korea directors were kind of be becoming the new hot thing. And so, I mean, there's, there's always an angle that you can find, and sometimes that angle you have to dig. I find that when I write something, the toughest thing to write for me is the way in. What's that first graph going to be? What's that first sentence going to be? What's that first thought going to be? That's, once I find the way in, I can kind of just keep going. Yeah. Sometimes in a mediocre film, it can be tough to find that lead, that one thought that launches you into it. And sometimes I read other reviews that make me just remember how, how freewheeling I should be as a critic. And I have to say, Peter Bradshaw recently wrote a, a scathing tear apart of the movie Princess Grace. Uh, which opened the Cannes oh, Film Festival. Oh, from The Guardian. Is he the guy from oh, The Guardian? He's the guy from The Guardian. I, it is just genius. And I have to read just a part of it, and we'll, we'll end the show on this. But he, say, he says, uh, it is a film so awe-inspiringly wooden that it is basically a fire risk. The cringe factor is ionospherically high. A fleet of ambulances may have to be stationed outside the Palais to take tuxed audiences to hospital afterwards to have their cur- toes uncurled under general anesthetic. I mean, that's beautiful stuff. And then he compares it to the Princess Diana movie, which starred, of course, Nicole Kidman's best friend, Naomi Watts. You know, two Australian actresses playing historic princesses, and and both of them tanked. And he says, it doesn't seem that long since we endured a horrendous biopic of Princess Diana, that other super-rich blonde passionaria played by Naomi Watts. As audiences reeled uh, into the foyer after that, they comforted themselves with the thought that things surely couldn't get worse. Surely they wouldn't be forced to endure another badly acted, badly directed film about a wealthy and self-pitying royal. How very wrong. I can now actually imagine a creepy science fiction short story about someone going back to prehistoric days in a time machine, killing a tiny trilobite, and then coming to the present to find everything the same, only now it's Naomi Watts playing Grace and Nicole Kidman playing Diana. That's beautiful stuff. That's good stuff. That's great stuff. So, that you know, you read that and you're like, man, I, could, I just need to pull the corks out and really just let it roll. And so, yes. So, Levy, thank you. That was a really good question. And... Uh, you do have to reinvent your enthusiasm every so often when you see really, really mediocre movies that are so mundane that they really don't give you much to talk about that you haven't said a thousand times before, but there it is. So with that, we are gone, and uh, send us those emails, and we will, uh, we will send out free DVDs this week. We're gone. <laughs>